you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45, the series is called Why Christianity? Reasons for Embracing the Christian Faith. Why Christianity? And the message this morning is entitled The Problem of Evil, Christianity's Biggest Dilemma. The Problem of Evil, Christianity's Biggest Dilemma. Before we get into the message, I want to begin reading with verse 1 of Isaiah 45. In this chapter, Isaiah is quoting God. This is a quote from God. God is speaking to Cyrus, the king of Persia, who lived during the middle of the 400s B.C. The people of Judah had been carried away captive into Babylon. Babylon was overtaken by Persia, and Persia started letting the Jewish people go back home. And now Isaiah is writing a passage from God with commands to Cyrus. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I'm going to say to you what I could say to you every time I ever stand up here. Your word is bigger than your servant who's going to preach from it. And nothing that I will say in these next few minutes even comes close in caliber to what I just read, because what I just read is your word. And Lord, this subject is so far above me, it's so much deeper than I am, to even attempt to swim in it puts me in jeopardy of drowning. But Lord, I thank you that your word is applicable to every single aspect of our lives, and it touches on every single concept that we can think of. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in these deep waters, to honor you and glorify you and acknowledge you as the God who solves even our deepest, deepest problems. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
The problem of evil is the biggest obstacle to belief among those who say that there is no God. Which, by the way, is a group of people in America that has doubled in number in the past five years. Five years ago, those who either were agnostic, which means they, they said you cannot know whether there is a God, or atheists who say there is no God, that number was 8% of the population of America. Today, it is 14%. It has almost doubled in five years' time. And if you survey those people, the most frequent answer that they will give as to why they do not believe in God and why they do not embrace the Christian faith is the problem of evil. It is a big dilemma. It is Christianity's biggest dilemma. In fact, not only Christianity's biggest dilemma, it is the biggest dilemma for faith in general. The only thing is, if you're a person who's embracing Christianity and you decide to boot it because of evil, you still have evil and you still have the problem. If you trade in Christianity for another faith, you still have the problem of evil. If you boot any kind of religious faith and embrace atheism, you still have the problem of evil. It is the biggest dilemma of faith, Christianity or otherwise. There are two perplexing questions that are foundational to this subject of the problem of evil. One is, where did evil begin? And the second one is, why does evil exist? Basically, the problem of evil can be framed in this way. If God is all-powerful so that He could easily destroy evil, and by the way, He is, and second, if God is all-knowing so that He would know everywhere evil could exist even before it ever did exist, and by the way, He is all-knowing, and if God so hates evil in all of its forms that He would want to destroy evil, and by the way, He does, and if God loves us so much that he would want to spare us the influences of evil, and I believe God does love us that much, then why is there evil? It's a really good question. It is a question that most Christians avoid like the plague. Or, if they don't avoid it, they will offer pat Sunday school answers that most people find deeply dissatisfying. Now, I'm going to say something that is probably going to offend many of you, and I don't mean to be offensive, but I'm just going to say this because I do believe it. Most of you avoid the problem of evil and the question of it like the plague. And those of you who don't avoid it, most of you offer pat answers with your heads up in the clouds or deep in the sand, and you expect people to accept those unsatisfying answers as proof positive that it's not really a problem to be considered. Shame on us for either of those options. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the problem of evil is way too important for Christians to avoid. And it is way too significant for Christians who don't avoid it to simply offer pat answers 
that we would not accept if the subject were any other subject on the face of the planet. But we accept it with regard to the relationship between evil and Christianity or evil and our relationship with God. Now, if you ask the question, where did evil come from, you'll get a number of answers. The first answer that I ever got, I remember it, I was on the phone with a guy that I, I deeply respect who lives up in North Georgia, and I, I mentioned to him, I said, have you ever wondered, you ever gone back way before God ever created mankind, humankind, way before God ever created the angels, have you ever thought about what God did back there? And have you ever thought about what he did with regard to evil back there? And I'll never forget the answer. It came immediately. Oh, you don't want to go there, Jimmy. Don't go there. Now, I understand that response because let's face it, you and I probably will rarely go into so deep and treacherous waters as to study the origin of evil. But I do believe that God has given us his word to guide us in our lives. And he has given us, uh, most of us, sound minds by which to study the issues that are inherent in our lives and that are touched upon in his word. And, and I believe he expects us to go there. Now, there's another answer some people give. If you ask them, well, where did evil come from? They say, well, Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, that's where evil was created. Well, there, there are two problems with that. One is, at no point anywhere in the Bible does it ever say that human beings have the capacity to create anything. In fact, the Bible tells us that all things, John chapter 1, all things were created through Christ, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Paul, in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, said this. He says, he says, God has created all things through Christ, both seen and unseen. Now, folks, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, those are pretty absolute statements with regard to what God has done. So the idea that Adam and Eve created something uh, like evil is, is uh, it's hard to accept. Not only that, but the Bible said that when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he laid out a buffet for them. In the Garden of Eden, there were trees, there was foliage. And among the trees, the buffet was kind of like a set of trees that were for, before them that produced fruit. And one of the trees was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if there's knowledge of good and evil, that assumes that evil already exists. And so, with that in mind, I would simply say evil predated Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve committed evil. They committed sin, brought sin into the human race. There's no doubt about that. But evil as a, as a principle, as a force, predated Adam and Eve. Well, some people say, well, the devil, Satan, is the one who created evil. Most Christians believe that God created Satan, not as Satan, the devil, but created him as Lucifer, an angel of light, one of the one of the higher-ups in the angelic hierarchy up in heaven. And he was created to glorify God in a way that few angels could glorify God. But somewhere along the way, Lucifer decided he didn't want to glorify God. He didn't want to be second or third in command. He wanted to be God. And he and about a third of the angels rebelled against God. There was war in heaven. God won the war. 
and, and Lucifer and a third of the angels were thrown out of heaven to roam the earth. Their doom is sealed. And some people say that when Lucifer rebelled against God, that's where evil was created. I, I say again, and, and you'll need to go home and study this for yourself and pray about it. You, you probably are not going to come to the same conclusions that I do, and that's quite all right. But I, I would say that Lucifer had the, a, a similar buffet before him that Adam and Eve did. He had evil as an option that he could choose. And so my contention is that evil predated Adam and Eve and evil predated Satan. Well, some people would say that evil was the price God had to pay in order to give us pure freedom. And basically the, ar the argument goes like this. God has given us pure freedom, total free will, and in order to give us pure free will, God had to give us the option of evil because if he did not give us the option of evil then we would not have pure freedom of choice or pure free will this sounds like a great argument and it may be the truth i see one hole in that argument and that argument has to do with a simple three-letter word h-a-d Remember, the argument says that in order for God to give us pure free will, God had, had to provide the option of evil. My suggestion to you all, and again, go study it for yourself, my suggestion to you is that the moment that we say God had to, and then whatever you fill in that blank, we have walked out onto thin ice, and the ice is melting. Listen, God is an all-powerful God. He's an all-wise God, an all-knowing God. There is nothing that he had to do. I'll, I'll, uh, my, my contention is that God, somehow, I don't know how he could have done it, but I believe God, being as all-powerful as he is and that there's nothing he can't do, the Bible says that, there's nothing impossible with God, my contention is that God could have given us pure free will without the option of evil had he wanted to. Now, obviously, that's not what he chose to do, but he could have because God is absolutely sovereign. He's absolutely in control. There's nothing he can't do. So for me, it's hard to accept this idea that in order to give us pure free will, God had to give us the option of evil. The philosopher, theologian that, uh, over in England at Oxford University, Alvin Plantanga, he said, it is impossible for God to control the amount of evil in a world in a context of pure freedom. Nothing's impossible with God. That sounds good, but nothing is impossible with God. Well, there are other people who say that God did not create evil, but he created holiness. And there always has to be an opposite to anything that's in the world today. For everything that there is in nature, there is an opposite, an antagonist. And so the argument goes that God created light and therefore he had to create the opposite which was darkness but really he created light and the absence of light is darkness and in the same way they say God created holiness but the opposite of holiness is evil and the absence of holiness is evil so here's what they're saying God didn't create evil he created holiness but the absence of holiness is evil it is there even though God 
did not create it. Uh, I, I would counter that by saying, is that what God had to do? And again, I say God has to do nothing. There's nothing that he has to do. He could have created light without the opposite of, of darkness. He could have created holiness without the opposite of evil because God can do anything he wants to do. He's not bound by rules of antagonism. He's not bound by rules of required opposites of concepts that he creates. And so that's hard for me to imagine. Some people say, well, God didn't create evil, but he allowed evil. And I, I'll just respond to that by saying this. If that makes you feel better, go ahead and believe it. Uh, the fact the idea that God allowed evil as, op as opposed to actually creating evil doesn't really make the problem a whole lot better, in my view. So, we're still back to the issue. Where did evil come from? Others say that God only created the potential for evil, but not evil itself. Now, all of these are attempts at exonerating God, who I believe is worthy of exoneration. I believe he's worthy of our defense. He's worthy of us praising him. He's worthy of our worship. Please hear me. But I believe that in, in, in talking about God and, and talking about evil, we also need, as best we can, realizing that we have a limited capacity, we need to try to get at the truth. And if God created the potential for evil, again, that's kind of like saying, well, he didn't create evil, but he allowed evil. He didn't create evil, but he, he created the potential for evil. Well, I mean, come on. I think we get to the point where we're splitting hairs over a lot of stuff just so that we make faith in God look good. So the way I see it, when we think about the origin of evil, we have two options. One is that evil is an eternal force along with God, making evil co-eternal. In other words, uh, evil is a force that has always been here, has always existed, and always will, just like God is a being who has always existed, is existing, and will always exist. That makes evil and God co-eternal forces. Now, perhaps evil is inferior to God, but if we believe that evil is an eternal force, then we have to believe that while inferior to God, it is a force that has always been here. And therefore, God had no control over its origin. The other option, of course, is that God created evil. Now, I personally don't like either of those options. Uh, I don't like... Uh, the suggestion that this God that I believe in, the God that I have been raised to believe in, the God who came to earth in the person of Jesus, the God who gave his life on the cross for my sins, the God who is the God of love and grace and mercy, that's the God I've experienced in my life. That's the God my mama taught me about since I was knelt down by her knee uh, praying at, at the end of a day. That's the God she taught me about in Sunday school. That's the God Miss Margaret Settles told me about up at Shake Rag down at Shady Grove Baptist Church at the place where I was saved. That's the God my dad preaches about. That's the God you and I believe in. It's hard for me to fathom that this God could create evil. 
But on the other hand, it's also very difficult for me to believe that there is any kind of force, be it evil or other, that is co-eternal with God and, and that God had no control over its origin. And so given the choice of those two bad choices, in my opinion, I'm going to choose not that evil is a co-eternal force over which God had no control, but that God created evil. Now this is a controversial stand. Don't just accept it. You'll find most Christians, including most Christian scholars, and I'm not a scholar, most Christian scholars don't accept that. So don't accept what I say just because I say it. But here you have these two options. I've never heard of any other options. I don't like either of these options. But I believe that God created evil. And that brings me to the first point I want to make. And that is that I believe God created evil. Now, I'm not going to end the sermon there. I know you're thankful for that. But before I leave this first, uh, this first point, let me just say this. There are some people in the Bible who agree with what I just said. Isaiah being one of them in Isaiah chapter 45, verse number 7. Isaiah said that God created evil. Now, as I was reading that, some of you, most of you were reading from a different translation. And your translation, instead of the word evil, it either said the word disaster or calamity or physical evil but not moral evil. Or some of your uh, translations may have said woes. Some of your translations may have said sorrows. Any number of words instead of the word evil. The Hebrew word there is a word pronounced ra-ah. R-A apostrophe A-H is the way it's transliterated into English. If you look up into Strong's Concordance of Old Testament Hebrew words, you will find that the word ra'ah refers in Hebrew to all manner of evil, and here's what it'll say, both physical, social, and moral evil. It is the root word, it is the primary word for evil. And so what I, I suggest to you is, and I, and I don't like to, I, I, as you know, I read normally from the New International Version, but one thing that I don't like about newer versions is when they run across a passage of Scripture that doesn't quite sit well with their beliefs, they change it. Now, I'm not a King James only person. Don't come, go out of here saying, well, our pastor's King James. That's not me. I'm sorry. It's not me. But I don't like changing Hebrew words in the Old Testament and Greek words in the New Testament just to suit or just to accommodate to, to beliefs that you and I might have. Listen, take the word at its word. The word is ra'ah. It's evil. And Isaiah said God created evil. Not only did Isaiah believe that, but Job did. You remember in Job chapter 2, where Job's wife comes into him after all this, this uh, evil has befallen Job? He lost all ten of his children. He lost all, almost all of his flocks, lost almost all of his employees. He, uh, his marriage relationship deteriorated. His health deteriorated. His wife comes up to him and he said, Are you still holding on to your integrity? You need to curse God and die. And Job said this. He says, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not evil from God? 
And Isaiah and Job were not the only ones. Amos in chapter 3 said this. He says, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble. When evil comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? These are troubling passages of Scripture. I wish they weren't there, but they are. And I don't get the choice of, of, of treating the Bible like a buffet. I'll take this, but I won't take that passage. I'll take this verse, but I'm not going to take these verses because they don't comply with my belief. Now, I won't say I've never been guilty of that. I would say that most every Christian has at some point, but it's not a good thing to do. Just take the Bible as a whole. My contention is that God created evil. Now, the second thing I want to say is this, and this is even more controversial. I'm really not going to help you with point number two. Here it is. If God created evil, then it would appear that he should be at least in part responsible for it. I'll just let that sink to the bottom of your gut there for just a little bit before I update my resume, okay? <clears throat> we would not have a problem with this if, if it had to do with anybody but God. But we do have a problem with it. I do too, because of the fact that it is God. But here's my contention. If God created evil, and to me, logically and biblically, there's no way to escape in my view, that he did create it. And if he created it, then he is in, in part responsible for it. And if he's responsible for it, then it would seem to me he ought to take responsibility for it. Now you say, well, the, the idea of being responsible for something implies that you're responsible to someone. To whom would God be responsible? My answer to that is to himself. There is nobody else. He certainly is not responsible to you and me. He's not responsible to the Pope. He's not responsible to the President of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's not responsible to any human being. The only person to whom he could be responsible is himself. Now that may sound really crazy, but it's what we're left with. That brings me to point number three. And remember, this whole series is on why Christianity, why embrace the Christian faith. And here's, here's the point. Here's this third point. This is what I want you to take home. If God, if God created evil, and if because he created evil, he bears part, at least part of the responsibility, then, number three, he did take responsibility for evil when he died on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, every one of us who are Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he took responsibility for our evil and our sins on the cross. We all believe that. There's no argument there. The controversy of this statement, though, is that not only did he take responsibility for our sins because he didn't force us to choose evil, we did choose evil of our own free will. And I do believe that God gave us pure free will. But he also created the evil option that we chose in our rebellion. There is a responsibility that we have, and I believe it is the primary responsibility. But I also believe because he created evil, he bears part of the responsibility, but he took the responsibility. And here's what I want you to get. 
You can study every world religion, every single world faith that exists. And Christianity is the only world faith that says that God came to earth, lived sinlessly on earth, and took the responsibility for sin and evil on the cross. You, you don't have to believe that he took the responsibility for creating evil if you don't want to, but, but even then, Christianity is the only world faith that says God came and took the responsibility for sin and for evil. So, I asked myself the question at the beginning of this series, why am I still a Christian? My first answer was because Christianity offers the best description for who God is. The God of the universe, the great designer of all that is, he came to earth, took on skin, and showed us who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. No other religion says that. Why, am I, why do I still embrace Christianity? Because I believe Christianity is the only faith that offers a logical remedy for my sin problem and therefore my need for salvation. And that is, Christianity offers salvation as a free gift. No other religion does that. Every other religion is built on some sort of human achievement. Christianity alone says, no, it's free gift, it's grace. And then the third reason, I believe in Christianity still because I believe Christianity offers the best solution to the problem of evil. But it really doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. And it really doesn't matter what we think about evil. It really matters what we think about Jesus. And it really so much doesn't matter what we think about Jesus so much as it matters whether or not we receive Jesus. And so I'll leave this message with you and ask you the question, have you received Jesus? Has there been a time in your life when you decided, I want Jesus into my life? Jesus, I accept you. I receive you into my life. Has there ever been a time like that? Because if there has not been a time like that, then you're without hope. For those of us who have received Jesus, you have him. What are you doing with him? Every time Christmas rolls around, somebody's going to give you a gift. And you'll look at that gift and say, why in the world did they give me that? And you'll stuff it in a closet for some future yard sale or some Sunday school exchange program. And you never touch it again. The problem is, sometimes we will stuff away something, some gift that we really, really could use and that could really benefit us. Let me ask you this. Have you stuffed Jesus away in the closet? never to open the closet up again. So here are my two questions. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? And then question number two, if you have received Jesus as your Savior, what are you doing with Him? The invitation today will be your response 
to either of those two questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us your word to guide us. I thank you for giving us your spirit to convict us, to teach us, to convince us. I thank you for your mercy and your grace, for your salvation through Jesus. I thank you for being the God who came to earth, put on skin, and who lived sinlessly among us. I thank you for being the God who went to the cross and took responsibility for evil and sin and death. I thank you for being the God who rose from the dead to show us what the power of God can do. I thank you that you offer us eternal life as a free gift that we simply receive. Lord, if I had to work for it, I could work 24-7, 365 the rest of my life and never even begin to make the first down payment. I thank you, Lord, that it's not in obeying rituals and laws and step one, step two, step three. It's simply receiving you by faith. And I pray that in this service, there will be people who will make the decision to follow Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And I pray that for those of us who have already accepted you as Savior, my prayer is that we would open up the closets of our hearts and minds and pull you back out and give you the full reign in every room of our lives that you deserve. Lord, I pray that now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I begin this invitation by saying to you personally, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And Lord, today in front of these people, I renew my commitment to you. Pull you out of the closet and say, Lord, every door is open to you. Lord, I make that commitment to you. And Lord, I'm asking these people to make that commitment to you too. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.